welcome, welcome, one and all, (laughs) to another episode of The Partial Historians. I am one of your intrepid hosts, voyaging into the wilderness, Dr. Peter Greenfield. And I am on slightly more (laughs) comfortable footing tonight. (sighs) Uh, being Dr. Radford, and I'm very happy with the topic we've chosen. I'm just going to put that out there. <laughs> Let's put it this way. We're now firmly in the area of Funest Maine. Yay! Yay! <laughs> that would be Spartacus. Mm, what a sexy, <laughs> sexy beast he is. <laughs> if we're t- talking about the television series, yes. Yeah. If we're talking about Kirk Douglas, eh. <gasps> just putting it out there. <sighs> Well, that's just harsh. <laughs> he has the voice and the chin dimple. And... Okay, yes, he does have ridiculously high underwear on, but hey, it was the 60s. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Well, we're... so in this episode, we mm. intend to focus on a little bit of Spartacus's background, which, given popular culture at this current point in time, perhaps you may already feel quite comfortable with, audience. Indeed, you might already be watching the TV show, because indeed, this is kind of brought about by a listener request, not just because I like the topic. We have had, <laughs> we have had a few li- listener requests about you know, ancient Rome on film. And so mm. we thought Spartacus was a good entry because, hey, I, I know a bit about hey. it. Hey, <laughs> I know someone who owns that topic. Exactly. <laughs> so, oh, sound effects. Yeah. Very yeah, nice, yeah. very nice. We're getting more sophisticated, we are, aren't we? we are. <laughs> so uh, we'll talk a little bit about Spartacus mm. and then I think we'll launch into a bit of a discussion about the 1960 film. Indeed. Uh, yes. Directed eventually mm. uh, by, I don't know, some some guy who was Kubrick. Yeah, yeah, Kubrick. Uh, I, I don't yeah. know that he made yeah. much of a career. No. But, yeah. no, he's dead now anyway. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Whatever. Unknown. <laughs> Unrecognised. <laughs> so to begin with, Spartacus the Man. Mm. Now, you'd think, given his uh, popular presence in our culture, that perhaps he is a bit of a well-known figure mm. from antiquity. Um, and indeed, he is prominent... But well-known, I question this. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I have to say, uh, once I realised that this subject was c- totally out of my depth, <laughs> I thought, quickly, quickly, gather all of the primary source material. It's less than 15 pages long. Yes, and mm. th- that's going into a lot of detail because you are, of course, an academic. <laughs> uh, uh, I mean, 15 pages is a lot of evidence, so I, I'm not going to disagree with that. But It's so murky, it's so contradictory, that's the problem. Yeah, yeah. There's, a, there's a lot of lack of clarification going on there. Yeah, even though we have sources like... Um, so basically, Spartacus is famous in antiquity because he led a slave revolt. Uh, which was dated to... Oh, <laughs> exactly. Burn them in the state. The slaves, they're revolting. <laughs> now into the grass. Yeah, that sort of thing, but yeah. obviously with more seriousness. Exactly, yeah. So about 73 BC we're talking about. Mm-hmm. So we're in the Republican period. Yeah, and this is following on the back of a couple of other servile wars. Exactly. It's known as... Uh, it's either known as, you know, the Spartan War or the Third Servile War. So it's the last of these really quite large-scale uh, slave revolts that mm. took place during the Roman Republic. Um, and it had been, a, you know, a significant amount of time. Like, we're talking a couple of decades here since the last one. Yeah. But yeah. it had been quite serious, the last there, one. Yeah, yeah, there's continual ill will. And yes. there's definitely uh, a friction. Yes, indeed. Uh, and Spartacus is a little bit different to the previous ones in that he is on the mainland. The other ones had sort of originated <laughs> in Sicily. Hello. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> I hate you. <laughs> I'm in Italy now. <laughs> 
Oh yes, as I like to say, you know, there's those uh, voiceovers with uh, epic films. You know, the disease of slavery spread throughout the empire, <laughs> of course, it to disintegrate from within. Should we do the rest of the episode with faux British accents? Oh, I so. like it. I like the idea. Mm. Yes. <laughs> those like those savages, those <laughs> slaves. They dared to uh, rise up against their rightful masters. <laughs> we will crush the rebellion. Exactly. <laughs> this is going into Star Wars Churchill. <laughs> feel it. Um, yeah, I feel so my Winston Churchill is coming yeah. up as well. We shall fight them <laughs> on the beaches. <laughs> we shall never surrender. <laughs> but anyway, that's, yeah, yeah, that's another. There's a lot of. There's a lot of. Uh, we uh, might have had some Christmas cheer, in case you <laughs> can tell. And there, I think this leads in nicely, actually, to what is essentially a side issue. But an important point of note is that racial profiling in on film mm. is something that definitely follows distinct cultural lines. Yes. Uh, we often get uh, the Romans represented as the British. Totally, For instance, yes. in in the sort of the era that we're interested in looking at with this film, Spartacus. Yes, yes. there's a definite accent divide. Mm. They like to cast the, uh, the Romans as the British mm. and either, you know, whether they're slaves or Christians or Jewish, you know, Jewish and maybe some Christians in there together, mm-hmm. like in Ben-Hur, <laughs> you know, converting perhaps or something like that. They tend to be Americans, the people who are fighting for freedom, the good yeah, guys, yeah. whereas the British are the They're... imperialist, tyrannical oppressors. Yeah, yeah. Which perhaps I think uh, feeds nicely into America's understanding of its own relations with the British. <laughs> it tells us a lot about Hollywood. But I, I would, yeah. I, what I do think is interesting about this is even when the British get the chance... Mm. Uh, they also put themselves in as the Romans. Yeah, well, I mean, and interesting, you, you mean later on, like more recently, you get the um, the accent divide in, say, something like Alexander, where you have. You, you know, you do. Oh, do we want to go there? Oh, yeah, yeah, I'm going, I'm taking you there, I'm taking you there. This is an embarrassing yeah. film. <laughs> yeah, well, basically, you have the Macedonians with their Irish accent to single mm. them out mm. as being different. You know, that, different, different, special, different. Yeah, 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 mm. yeah that's that, that kind of different. <laughs> uh, yeah, so I love you, the Irish. I'm sorry. Well, guys. You see, this, uh, I have to admit, one of my favourite stories about Gladiator. I'm sorry, it's totally sidetracked. <laughs> but uh, in regards, we went to off topic accent, so quickly. Yeah, we'll yeah. come back to the point, guys. We will, we will. Um, Russell Crowe, uh, of course, being the very serious method actor that he is, taking his job very seriously. Mm. He, uh, mm. when he found out that his character was from the Spanish provinces, he wanted to do an accent like. Antonio Banderas. Oh, no. <laughs> but they luckily convinced him that maybe he should just stick with his kind of Australian accent. So he went for... He sounds uh, foreign enough. Yeah, I think his, uh, his way of describing it is famously uh, the Shakespeare Company, two pints after lunch. <laughs> uh, so he sounds a bit rough. You know, he's not like full British. Yeah. He didn't go like full British. <laughs> oh, he yeah. didn't? No, he didn't. He didn't. He didn't go full British. Well, I mean, there's different types of full British as well. Uh, Spartacus. Spartacus. Yeah, sorry. Yes, Spartacus, yes. <clears throat> but yes, anywho. I can't even remember what we were talking about. But basically, I think we were introducing to the concept of who Spartacus was. Now, this is the thing. Obviously, being um, a slave uh, and a gladiator, which seems to be fairly well established, there wasn't much recorded about Spartacus prior to his daring Act. No, and there would have been no reason to. No, I exactly. mean, we're talking about a gladiator who's owned by somebody and works for somebody and mm. is of no note. Exactly. Why for, would from they a record, Roman perspective. Yeah, why would they record details I mean, about it's him? Just, it's just, mm. He's just a piece of entertainment. Exactly. And he's described in our sources as being Thracian. Uh, now, this could mean he was from Thrace, um, which is possible in this period because there had been some conflict 
uh, in that region, so he could have been captured. Hmm. Um, but it could also mean he fought as a Thracian gladiator. Ah. Because this is what the Romans tend to do with their gladiators. They obviously tend to dress them up in the armour of defeated enemies. Yeah. So, you know, you have, like, Sam, the Samnite and that sort of thing. Mm-hmm. Um, I mean, not all the time, but that's generally, you know, what they look like. And so you did have this Thracian type. Yeah, yeah. Uh, and so that's what it could mean. So, I mean, we, we don't even really know what his nationality was, is yeah. what I'm trying to say. Yeah, yeah. Um, the man is a blank slate of our desires. I really think he is, and I think that's part of his appeal, actually, when it comes to adapting him for later plays, novels, artwork, and film. Mm. <laughs> film. 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 This yeah. is going to be a, a cinema... Graphic cinematograph. <laughs> God damn it! <laughs> Language isn't my strong point. A podcast was really a poor choice as a career option, wasn't it? Um, but yeah, cinematographic. So, yeah. Ah. So basically, all we can say for sure mm. is that there was a gladiator named Spartacus. There was. Uh, he was in a ludus or gladiator school in mm-hmm. Capua, uh, which it seems fairly certain it was owned by a man named Batiatus. Yay! Yeah, yeah, I think I can say that for some Yeah, yeah, look, yeah. There, there is a reference to yeah. a, a lentulous batty artist. And we, quite a number of the sources. Yeah, yeah. Plutarch references mm. him. Mm. Uh, so, you know, we're yeah, there's on a few. relatively firm territory, Absolutely. I suppose, if you trust Plutarch. <laughs> well, um, I mean, there's, there's a few references. That, like, Livy also mentions that Floris, Erosius, you know, it, it, it seems to be corroborated. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, well enough. Uh, yeah. He's definitely... F- uh, escapes from Capua. Yes. Uh, now this and this is you know this is again the sources just get so murky so quickly. Um, our numerous sources give us so many different numbers for the amount of people that broke out alongside Spartacus. Um, you know mm. we have you know rumours of sort of two hundred, yeah. and we also have rumours of thirty. Yeah. Um, in something a like a lot of them like the number seventy four. Yeah, it does seem to be something in the seventies that seems the most likely. Hmm. Um, but then again, you know, some of our lower estimates come from sources that were closer in time, like Cicero. Yeah. So who knows? You know? And well, there is a huge tradition as well in mm. Roman historiography of recording estimates as if they were exactly the fact. Uh, there's a lot of guesstimation that seems to go on and they yeah. often like to round numbers up as well exactly yeah. uh, so, so it is really interesting i think when we get specific numbers like 74 yeah <laughs> cross up in a few sources and i'm like wow i mean it hasn't been rounded up it hasn't been rounded down it's a number yeah uh, exactly <laughs> i was like who's feeling confident yeah <laughs> yes i mean i would i would confidently say in the 70s hmm. um but you know again like as i say we just can't say for sure because the sources are just so damn yeah well this is i think this is part of our issue with something like spartacus is mm. that even the sources that are really close like sallust is one of our closest sources yeah livy is another who's relatively close yes uh, they're so fragmentary they're, yeah. they're so fragmentary and mm. so we have a problem with the close sources because they're in fragments mm. and then we have the sources that come from a couple of generations later so we're uh, our Plutarchs, our mm. Appians, who... Far more detail, but far later. Far, m- yeah. far more detail, but mm. writing towards the end of the first century AD. Yeah. So at a sort of a two-century remove, if you like, from exactly. the action itself. And yeah. it's like, so much more detail, but do you really want to trust them? Yes, exactly. <laughs> oh, you're just lulling me into a false sense of security. And presumably <laughs> they had their sources. Yeah. So they're probably um, more likely to be correct than we are. Well, true. And then, But then again, you know, you do have someone like Plutarch's account of Spartacus is actually sort of one of the major set pieces. It only really comes up because mm. he's writing a biography of Crassus, who's the general that eventually defeats Spartacus. So mm. you have to sort of question, you know, the purpose of including yeah. that episode and is it shaped because of the biographical context? 
context. You know? Yeah, yeah. Is this a story to show something about Crassus? Exactly. Rather yeah. than something. And that that's, I mean, Plutarch meaningful. is the reason why I bring that up is because Plutarch, um, being one of our more detailed sources, it's often, and because of the way Plutarch writes, that sort of biographical. Well, way it's of also writing, moralistic. And moralistic. It biography. tends to appeal a lot more to filmmakers. Like, Plutarch is often a source nah. for. You know, yeah. for lots of filmmakers, he's preferred to, to people like Livy mm-hmm. um, for, for exactly the way he writes. It, it, it translates well into film, popular oh, film. I feel like this is a really perfect segue. Yeah, <laughs> exactly. <laughs> and so basically, you know, is was Plutarch sort of using the character of Spartacus because he actually takes an almost positive view of Spartacus at times mm. to show up. Crassus, who he takes quite a negative view of, you know. <laughs> As a way of criticising exactly. Crassus. Exactly, is Spartacus a moral, you know, part of the moral of Crassus's story, you know. Um, because that's the thing, you'd think that Spartacus would be someone universally despised in the sources. Hmm. And that's certainly true for the, the really late sources, like the ones that come, you know, hundreds and hundreds of years yeah, after. Yeah. Um, that's certainly what survived, the negative side of Spartacus, the fact that he's almost like this Hannibal figure. He's scary. He's a boogeyman <laughs> um, because he does uh, he does achieve quite a lot. He eludes capture. He yeah. defeats generals. Yeah, and like really important ones <laughs> increasingly important ones as yeah, time goes he, he's on he's defeating yeah. consular armies and pro-consular armies and he does it for a number of years yeah and it's clear that by this stage he has to have more than 70 men yes for sure I mean <laughs> again the numbers are ridiculously inflated it seems we don't really know for sure but he certainly built up a substantial army and managed to evade capture with this substantial army yeah and I mean obviously it's a problem that our sources are coming from the side that's the eventual victor but yes. also the side that has to salvage some pride from exactly. losing how they're going to deal with this yeah how are they going to relate for quite this part some of their history? time? Yeah. So you know, inflating the numbers of the enemy is a, yeah. is a natural way. Of Completely, doing that. and that's what I mean. It's it's exactly where you'd find you'd think you'd find in the sources just this universal condemnation because Spartacus mm. dared to do this, and you want to send out a negative <laughs> message. But yet, in these sort of you know these sort of slightly earlier sources, like even Sallust, who's really one of our earliest ones, there is this sort of almost positive look at Spartacus as being someone who's quite charismatic, quite honourable. And he seems to be given a, a quite sort a talented of, general, yeah. <laughs> a talented general, and yeah. also a bit of an innovator. Yeah, somebody who comes up with solutions in tight situations. Absolutely, and that's part I of like that. Yeah, <laughs> we like that in a man. <laughs> because one of the you know one of the sort of famous episodes in his story is where um, he and the escaped slaves and probably a few stragglers they pick up along the way, <laughs> um, they they eventually settle down on Mount Vesuvius as you do pre-eruption <laughs> or pre-famous eruption things were calm on the mountainside exactly. or were they <laughs> and then of course the Romans come along and go huh there's only one way one way up and one way down and I see go. you guys are stuck up a mountain that'll be the end of you <laughs> yeah and so they set in for the the weight <laughs> Little Um, did they know. Exactly. Somehow, uh, Spartacus and his men managed to get down another path. Uh, Our sources suggest they somehow wove (laughs) (laughs) vines together and formed ropes that they could descend unexpectedly. (laughs) And they take the Romans by surprise. And this is their first, I mean, apart from obviously the breakout, this is their first real kind of victory, Mm. you know. Um, so you do have these sort of amazing stories. <laughs> yeah, and I think that's interesting because to me that's also also one of the most unbelievable episodes. For sure. Yeah. And, and you think to yourself, where did that come from? Mm. Uh, I find it really quite curious. Well, it's repeated in a couple of, of our sources, mm. Um, but mm. that could be just because they're drawing on each other. But I think the, the, the bottom line is Spartacus took the Romans by surprise. 
Mm. Uh, and whether this sort of fantastical element is them trying to justify it or whether it is actually just what happened. I mean, yeah, you know, yeah. who knows? Stranger things have happened. So how do these ideas translate into the 1960 film? Well, the thing about Spartacus is he actually has quite a lively little afterlife. <laughs> um, he certainly, you know, as I alluded to before, he doesn't die out in the sources as time goes on. He's, his, um, his revolt is sort of maintained in these um, sort of very... Uh, truncated versions of Roman history that we get, you know, in you know, sort of fourth, fifth centuries AD. Yeah, yeah. Um, he's still remembered as being quite a, you know, <laughs> something quite fearsome. Yeah, yeah. Um, something, something important, something to be remembered. Um, and then you get him picked up when you're looking at things like the French Revolution. Mm. Really, anyone in times of trouble, they tend to like Spartacus as a bit of a figurehead. <laughs> so you got him in Italy with the. Do you um, have a cause but like a hero? Exactly, Scholar Spartacus, <laughs> one nine hundred <babe. laughs> Insert Spartacus here for maximum yeah. pleasure. You do. You get him popping up in Russia, in Italy with the reunification movement. You get him popping up in Austria with Napoleon, and he becomes involved as a sort of a figurehead for the Marxist movement Absolutely. as well in the early twentieth century. Completely, because Marx famously referred to Spartacus as being a splendid fellow <laughs> in one of his letters, and so this, yeah. of course, you know, just well, you know, he's cemented, you know. <laughs> Who is this guy? I need to know more about him. Exactly. And it's sort of because becomes of this. He becomes a vehicle for communism. He does. And because of this, he's picked up by uh, Rosa Luxemburg and Karl Liebknecht mm-hmm. uh, in 1919 um, with their movement in Germany um, where they they actually name their and uprising. The Spartacus Bund. Exactly. The Spartacus <laughs> Bund. They actually name their movement after him. Yeah. And the reason why I mention this is because Howard Fast, who wrote the novel upon which the film is based, came across Spartacus because of that uprising. Mm. He read about it when he was in jail. Um, he was sent to jail um, during the sort of HUAC McCarthy blacklist period in America uh, where they were hunting out communists. Well, they thought they were hunting out communists. Howard <laughs> Fast had been a naughty leftist young man. He had, yeah. He, he was a <laughs> communist, to be fair. But should he have been sent to jail for that? Mm. Well, I mean, yeah. that, that's a murky period of American Yeah, exactly, yeah. But nevertheless, Hollywood had a blacklist of communists or people who had left associations, strong left affiliations that yes. they would not allow to work. And yeah. Howard Fast ends basically, up being yeah. one of these they, Basically, guys. they call these people in front of a committee and they ask them, you know, are you a member of the Communist Party? And if they answered yes, they were expected to name names of other people they associated with. Mm. Now, if you refuse to supply them with the names they were looking for, you got sent to jail for contempt of Congress. And this is what happened to Howard Fast. And he... While he was there, he read about the uprising and then thought, hmm, too soon. <laughs> and so he decided to write a novel instead about Spartacus, the person that they had named. Yeah, and I think this is what, that's what becomes really interesting, is mm. that for Howard Fast, Spartacus is a communist figurehead. He's somebody who's not just... He's fighting yes. against the system for the good of everybody. Yeah, and that's just it. If you read... I mean, to be honest with you, and this is going to sound really strange, given that I wrote my thesis on this film. I really <laughs> did not like the novel. <laughs> it's okay to admit you didn't like yeah. some of your projects. Yeah, I, I didn't like his novel, personally. How much there However, is yeah, I know, I know, right. But it is interesting in the sense that you do really have this sort of proto-communist 
uh, utopian slave Look, community. Look, the, the excerpts yeah. that I've read from fast novel, yeah. and I admit I've only encountered them in sort of secondary literature I was reading in preparation, thinking about the Spartacus film. Yes. It's overblown. in the. In, it's really, it's not a subtle vehicle no. for communist thought and Marxist thinking. Uh, it's sort of laid on with a very substantial trowel from Howard's fast point of view. And Spartacus is built up as this sort of iconic symbol of that movement in a lot of particular ways. None of which I would say are particularly uh, fantastically written. Yeah, oh, completely. And uh, it's basically <laughs> the Romans are just, you know, they're sort of the... But it has opposite. a function. They're the, an- yeah, the, a- the anti-slaves in that they don't really, you know, they don't have children, they... Um, or if they do have children, they they don't have a good relationship with them. Mm. Um, you know, there's all sorts of weird sexual practices, and I'm, this is obviously for the time, which includes things like homosexuality, um, incest, adultery. You know, they, they, everything about their sex lives is, you know, pardon my French, but well, actually, no, I won't swear. It's, <laughs> it's screwed up. You know, whereas the slaves have yeah. monogamous consensual relationships yeah so the um, romans represent sort of the underside of american society yeah uh, and, and they're the, they're the capitalists moral... yeah they're the capitalists yeah. and basically you have things um like when the slaves escape and they set up their own community you have him you know saying things like you know race city or state had no meaning their bondage was universal so ethnicity mm. doesn't matter because of course he does acknowledge that they are different uh, you know these are slaves who've been captured from various parts of you know the known world he does acknowledge the differences in their ethnicity but once they've escaped, they set up this community where they bond together and work together. But, Race no longer matters. Yeah, which is interesting because that's precisely what did not happen, as far as we can tell from the ancient sources. Mm. Um, we do hear of, um, you know, as the revolt progresses, uh, the actual revolt I'm talking about here, um, there were these divisions between Spartacus and seemingly these sort of sub slave Yeah, yeah. There seems to be huge divisions between the Gauls, the Germans. Exactly, yeah. Thracians. Whenever they split... They it seems to be along they, ethnic lines. Yeah, yeah. yeah. They, they split according to Yeah, I mean, to whether, again, obviously you sort of have to take a grain of salt with all sources when they're being written from a pro-Roman point of view, but why would they lie about... <laughs> danger, danger. Yeah, exactly, yeah. Why would they lie about something like that? You know, like, it's that seems to be something they'd have no interest in lying about, you know. Um, why would they say that the Thracians were following Spartacus and the Gauls were following Crixus? It would know? strike me that the Romans probably wouldn't care exactly about yeah. about ethnic that divisions makes, amongst yeah. the slave And that makes me think that that part is true, you mm. know. And so that's why Howard Fast's take on things um, is really interesting. And you do have these sort of these <laughs> these statements like. Uh, you know, about the Roman and the slave relationships, like home and family and honour and virtue and all that was good and noble was defended by the slaves and owned by the slaves. <laughs> Not because they were good and noble, but because their masters had turned over to them all that was sacred. Mm. It's, it's, a, it's a bit of purple prose. Yeah. <laughs> good thing it was turned into a film. Yeah. yeah. So basically, um, how did the film come about? Well, um, Kirk Douglas had actually really desperately wanted to play the role of Ben-Hur. Um, and unfortunately for him... He was feeling very sad. He was. Unfortunately for him, they would only offer him the role of Masala, who's the bad guy for anyone who's seen Ben-Hur. And he wasn't interested in playing the bad guy. He thought he was very two-dimensional. So he was feeling a bit depressed, moping about a bit. And then his producer, because he'd set up his own film company, which is a bit unusual in those days. Usually it was studio-controlled. And his producer came to him with this novel, which his Mm. wife had passed on to him. And Kirk Douglas was like, yes, this is the project I have been looking for. (laughs) This is the hero I meant to play. Exactly, exactly. He saw it as being the hero he was, you know, he was after. And so after much perseverance on his behalf, because there was, funnily enough, I don't know how these things come about, it's like with the Alexander films, um, there was actually another Spartacus film 
uh, in the works well, at the time. Yeah, yeah. Uh, with Yul Brynner cast to play Spartacus. Mm. And so there was sort of this race <laughs> to make the Spartacus film. Whose Spartacus film can come out first? Exactly. Who, Who can take Spartacus? the big grab, <laughs> the profits there, the potential? Exactly. And basically, through sheer determination and a lot of bullshit, quite frankly, <laughs> Kirk Douglas managed Excuse to knock. You, your yeah, friend. I know. What's wrong with me today? Um, <laughs> Kirk Douglas manages to shut this other production down, even though they were kind of further ahead. <laughs> <laughs> And he ends up um, turning this book into a film. Um, And interestingly, the person he ends up hiring to write the screenplay, although initially he'd been sort of forced to um, to hire Howard Fast. Howard Fast was very keen to be the one to write the screenplay. He was, yeah. He's like, this is my baby. This is the novel that is the vehicle for all of my ideas. I need to be on board. But the script he wrote was apparently terrible. Yeah, he he just wasn't fast enough because they really (laughs) need to... Yeah, I know, I know. I use that in my thesis too. Don't worry. (laughs) He wasn't fast enough, apparently. And uh, Dalton Trump, on the other hand, was known as the fastest screenwriter in Hollywood at that time. Also on the blacklist. Exactly, because he also had been a member of the Communist Party and refused to name names. He was part of the sort of famous Hollywood 10. There's a big test trial when it came to Hollywood um, and the Communist trials. Um, And so, yeah, basically they had to sort of fire Howard Fast, which he was not very happy about. (laughs) And they hired Dalton Trumbo instead. Uh, And so you still have this person with natural leftist sympathies working Mm. on the project. Uh, so I, I certainly don't see, and this is something I should stress, I don't see this, the 1960 film as being a piece of communist propaganda by any means. Well, the trouble is that by the time you get into the film and the production of it, there's mm. so many hands on deck. There Absolutely. are so many different viewpoints coming into it. And yeah. this is something that's been flagged time and time again in the scholarship on this film Indeed. and in relation to this. In fact, I dare say that if you look up my thesis, <laughs> you might find that that's exactly what I was trying to... Uh... <laughs> You're starting to allude to. Exactly. There are there are many hands stirring the pot of this film. It ends up being not so much an example of leftist propaganda. Completely, yeah. You do have this sort of these sort of sympathies in the film, but it's not by any means, you know, as I say, it's it's not what what they were setting out to make, you know. Mm. Um Dalton Trumbo, although he did have those sort of sympathies and he was at certain points in his life a member of the Communist Party, he was very much committed to making good films. And he saw Spartacus. He'd been on the blacklist by the time this project came about for 10 years. Actually, over 10 years. Wow. Yeah. And he saw this film as being the vehicle that could be used to return his name to the screen to break the blacklist. Because that's basically his plan. You know, he'd been slogging it out on the blacklist for years. You know, basically selling stories at a cut rate price. Yeah, Yeah. ghostwriting, essentially. But he could easily get ripped off because no one could know he was working on it. He Mm. couldn't use his real name. So people could you know, not pay him. And what was he going to do about it? You know, so it was a tough life, tough existence. And basically he came up with this plan that if they, if he and his fellow blacklisted writers produced just the most amazing (laughs) money-making work, they would then have power again to demand screen credit from the studios. And that's what he saw with Spartacus. He saw it as being his, you know, his chance. They do manage to win that fight. He did, yeah. His name was listed for the first time. But what sort of Spartacus do we really have in the 1960s film? Is it, If it's not the, the leftist communist mm. Spartacus of Howard Fast, and, yes. it's, and it's not the completely ideologically mm. blind, because there doesn't seem to be any affiliations in the ancient historical record of what Spartacus might be fighting for beyond his own freedom. Well, that's and, exactly it. I mean... We always have to be very sceptical about the idea, this idea that um, perhaps Spartacus was fighting to end slavery for all time. It doesn't appear so. I mean, no. I, he'd be, it honest, seems unlikely. Yeah, slavery is something that is sort of 
taken as a given, I think, in the ancient world. And I mean, it still exists it's such today. such an entrenched system. Yeah. And, and obviously, this is part of uh, a fight against the system. Mm. Is it? It's but probably no... more for personal reasons. Yeah. yeah. I mean, that's the thing. They, you get, we get hints in the sources that um, Spartacus was sort of wrongly condemned, perhaps in the first place, and that mm. um, perhaps one of the reasons why he was tempted to break out was because uh, he was being sort of unfairly treated at the time. Yeah. Then you also get things in Appian um, that Spartacus was inciting people to revolt um, because he thought, well, we may as well fight for our own freedom rather than fight for entertainment of others. And that yeah. sounds kind of like realistic, you know, that doesn't sound, you know, Yeah, far-fetched. yeah, I'm sick of this. Yeah. I want to fight for myself. Exactly, yeah. So, I mean, it could very well be something like this, but in... I'm sorry, but yeah. I, I feel like I need a L'Oreal ad with Spartacus. Because you're worth it. Because I'm worth it. <laughs> Look at this haircut. Yeah. It's so spiky <laughs> and military. I you two you can have this look. Yeah, yeah. Anyway, sorry. That's no, that's right. But basically, by the time we come around, because he's been used so many times as a figurehead for the oppressed, for the underdog, yeah. um, by the time we get around to the film... And you have these people who are looking to produce like something epic, something something hugely money making, you know. You do sort of have this figure who seems to be fighting for more, you know, something more than himself. Well he's um, kind of gotta be everything to everybody. I yeah. mean for to have a film be a moneymaker. Yes. And I'm not sure that studios know how to do that anyway. But <laughs> let's say in the 1960s, they're feeling particularly confident. Yes. Uh, he's got to be able to appeal to a broad audience. Absolutely. Base. He's got to be a hero. He can't be yeah. a leftist hero. He's got to be an everyman hero. Yeah, absolutely. And so you have this, um, you have this Spartacus in the end who um, basically does seem to be fighting you know, the good fight. but it is a real mix because he fight for what well you know to end slavery you know to put for the american dream to strike at rome you know to put an end to rome uh and their you know the evil ways (laughs) um because that's definitely something that comes through the film which is very influenced by by fast and that sort of thing the idea of the really completely evil triumph over corruption yeah exactly i mean the roman characters funnily enough because of the way um they had to go about producing this film um they had to sort of entice big name actors you know in order to knock the other film out of the out of the water and one of the ways they did that was by saying okay we're going to go for these british big british actors to play the main roman characters (laughs) in the fast novel yeah um so Laurence olivier charles lawton and peter ustinov Mm -hmm. the same people that yul brynner's film were trying to secure for their roman characters um (laughs) And basically, in order to entice them, obviously they had to write the Roman parts first. Mm. So the Roman parts actually end up, and because also they're such fantastic actors, they end up being (laughs) probably the more interesting characters, and they're not really two-dimensional bad guys. Um, But at the same time, that's kind. You know, they are meant to be kind of quite twisted, (laughs) quite twisted bad guys. Mm. Uh, Whereas interesting bad guys, exactly. Yeah, there's something interesting about them, and that's probably because their parts were really worked out and written, and didn't change terribly much over Mm. the course of filming. And Spartacus is just the character that fills the gaps in between. Exactly. Whereas Spartacus, they had to work on while they were filming. Mm. They had a change of directors. Anthony Mann started to direct, and eventually, um, well, two weeks into filming, he was replaced with Stanley Kubrick. Mm. Stanley Kubrick had a very different vision for the film than what they were going for, which was sort of the classic epic. He was looking more <laughs> at something a bit darker, you know, perhaps a bit seedier, perhaps the Spartacus who questions, you know, questions what he's Complex doing. Complex characters, that will never do. Yeah, the yeah. audience will never go for something <laughs> like that. Yeah, and so there's all this confusion. But, and so what you end up with is a bit of an uneven Spartacus, what I like to call 
A medium Spartacus. A medium Spartacus. Yes, because basically what Dalton Trumbo does, you know, saw the film, the first cut of the film, and he defined it as being you know, a problem because you had a small Spartacus who was someone who was you know, questioning why he was doing it, wanted to fight for himself rather All than very the good of mankind. Involved. Very self-involved and not really the equal of the mm. Romans, not really up to them you know, intellectually or you mm-hmm. know, you know, strategically, all those sorts of things. And you had the large Spartacus, which is what he was going for. Someone large who was in- Spartacus. Yeah, someone who was incredibly heroic, who was fighting for the good of oh, all okay. slaves. So fighting for the ideas. Yeah, yeah, and that's, that's how he yeah. sort of defined it. I mean, you know, not, obviously not everyone accepts that perhaps, but in the end I think you do come up with a medium Spartacus because there is still the elements of both mm. you know, in the film. So you do get this He's a bit mix. hit and miss. It is, yeah. I mean, Kirk oh, Douglas... Oh, Kirk. Kirk Douglas himself actually <laughs> wrote uh, another memoir recently. And he actually used that exact phrase himself, medium Spartacus. But I used it first, Kirk said, suck it! <laughs> <laughs> you own it now. Exactly, I do. I claim it. Um, so yeah, that's what you kind of end up with. It's kind of an odd... It's an odd film, I think, for that reason. But it's still popular. Oh, yeah, I think yeah. it's fascinating because obviously there's this been this interesting trajectory out of the primary source material yes. into a, a, a novel, which is clearly a political vehicle, mm. into a film which sort of has to compromise itself on all levels in order to placate all of the big players involved. And so you eventually get a sort of a Spartacus who's... Uh, neither grand hero nor selfish bastards indeed yeah and I mean my particular interest is also how you know all the slave characters were affected because Verenia the uh, the main female character is Mm. very she changes a lot during the script rewriting process she Mm. goes from being the sort of fast version of Verenia which is this sort of fierce Amazon who fights alongside Spikers <laughs> as his equal and mm-hmm. the mother of the slave army whereas he is the father it makes sense yeah. from a Marxist perspective exactly yeah um, into this really what I like to call and again this is one of my my, my little terms <laughs> I came up with Stepford Verenia <laughs> someone who's a very 1950s housewife can I housewife. bake you guys some bread while exactly. you're discussing tactics can I wash the slave children <laughs> while you guys are practicing fashion I'm really interested in keeping <laughs> this tent tidy guys yeah. <laughs> could you please take your sandals off <laughs> <laughs> I feel really privileged to be here. It's just amazing to watch you guys work. So I guess give me your high-waisted underwear. Uh-huh. It needs to be washed. <laughs> Oh, poor yes. 1960s Spartacus. Yes. I think what's interesting is that mm. Spartacus becomes a vehicle for context. Yes. Uh, whatever seems to be happening in a historical period yes. becomes the flavour that the Spartacus takes Completely, on. Completely, yeah. Because, I mean, obviously you have fast, obviously, part of the appeal, I think, for him, when you do have those sort of, you know, we can make fun of him all we like, I suppose, for having those sort of, very broad differences between his Romans and his slaves, but he had just gone to prison. He was feeling a bit oppressed himself, uh, which is, I think is understandable because, you know, whatever you may think of Howard Fast and his work, so they didn't deserve to be sent to jail for writing bad novels. <laughs> it is a cruel punishment, I suppose, but I, uh, in a way it would be inspiring as well. Yes. Imagine the determination to, exactly. for your perspective. Yeah. And on top of on which, when he, you know, the... when he got out of prison and wrote Spartacus, no one would publish it because he was blacklisted. He actually self published also because it was terrible well but he sold it was actually incredibly popular he actually became oh. yeah he sold millions and millions of copies it was I very popular know that. yeah careful audience yeah careful. <laughs> yeah it was very popular and so it ended up being good he ended up continuing to self-publish mm-hmm. um but yeah i think just that flavor of what he was going through colors his novel yeah and then sure, yeah, yeah and then obviously the film picks up on that because it's still the blacklist period by the time the film comes about mm. you know about 10 years later and you do get those sort of famous scenes. I think we have to finish up with the, ooh, the ooh, famous, famous scenes. scenes. Yeah, ooh, you ready? Yes, you ready? Yes, I'm ready, I'm ready. By order of Marcus Lucius <laughs> Gracchus, all your lives shall be spared if 
you will turn over the slave who is known as Spartacus. And then Kirk dramatic, Douglas. Dramatic yeah. pause. He dramatic thinks, pause. he thinks. And he, he puts his head down a little. And then, then, then <laughs> he goes to stand up. And he does. But, but. What? Wait for it. Tony Curtis. His friend. His friend. Yeah. <laughs> stands up beside him. And before he can say the words, he shouts out, I'm Spartacus. And then. I'm Spartacus. I'm Spartacus. I'm Spartacus. I'm Spartacus. And so it continues. <laughs> and Kirk Douglas has his wonderful you know, single tear down the cheek. Oh, the unity forever. Spartacus. That's and perhaps the most leftist moment of the film. Exactly. And that's something that I have definitely proven, I think, was definitely written by Dalton Trumbo. Uh-huh. Um, as opposed to many of the other people who were having their say. Fiddling around. Yeah, and it, I think it does speak to his idea of, you know, not naming names. Standing together yeah, against sure. the system. Uh, preserving brotherhood, unity, mm. and therefore winning the, the moral battle. You know? <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. You might lose this war, exactly. but you've won the moral exactly, victory. Exactly, because they haven't got what they wanted. Mm. Yes. Uh, I think that's our high note tangent. Yeah, yes. yeah. I'm getting used to ending on like depressing notes of all the deaths of emperors and things. It's nice to finish on a somewhat touching moment. <laughs> yeah, let's stay with the optimism. Indeed. Thank you. Thank you.